1: Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Studies Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. Dana. Hello,
2: friends. I'm Dana. I'm your alcoholic comedian for the evening. Dana. A drunk was sent to treatment at a rehab. Upon his return a friend asked him how it had been. Terrible, he replied. For weeks, I lived on nothing but food. Thank
1: you, Dana. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Robert. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the 12-step series tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start our meditation. Now, let me lead you in the fog light prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying, your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism I have asked my friend to read appendix 2 spiritual experience we read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one so it is kind of important to know which one which one is
3: amer alcoholic Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover. Provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts, he can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of this program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance." That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, pages
1: 567-568. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to the offer meeting mode or just plain turn them off. Um, I get the uh, chance to introduce um, someone I've known pretty much half my life. Um, Maybe more now. We're getting older. Um, And uh, a minute ago, she was saying how we prayed that we had turned our mess into a message. And um, you've carried that message to me no more than, like, you know, probably 10 different times throughout our lives. Um, And I'm very grateful to hear you carry it again, so... Come on, Bobby.
4: All right. You guys are slacking. There's no water up here. It's all right. I got caffeine. Anyways, hi, everybody. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm Bobby. Bobby. And we're going to be on step four tonight. I'm super excited. This is an important step, the one that everybody is so deathly afraid of. I don't know why, when it was time for me to write my four-step inventory, I was so excited. I get to, like, write down all the badass stuff I did and share with another human being. I was like, I cannot wait to tell my sponsor. She's going to think I'm so cool. Um, Wow. I sometimes think about the past, and I get embarrassed of myself. (laughs) I'm sure you guys know uh, the day that I I shared my four-step with her, she was not impressed. She was just like, uh-huh, so continue. What's next?
5: Um,
4: I hope you guys had a good speaker last week. I was, I was glamping. They don't allow me to call it camping here at this meeting if I wasn't sleeping in a tent. Um, so I was out glamping, having a good time, and I know a good friend of mine was supposed to come here and speak, and she's very, she got very sick, and then um, her spouse got sick. Thank you. Her two kids got sick, and now her little one's in the ER. I mean, and the um, NICU in the hospital or the PICU, whatever it is for the pediatric ICU. So keep that little baby in your prayers. She tested positive for um, coronavirus and rhinovirus, and she's only two months old. So she's in need, a lot of, a lot of prayers. So you guys missed a really good speaker last week because she couldn't make it here. I hope you, I know God probably showed up and gave you guys something good anyways, but um, I am happy to be back we're going to just real quick at, you know take a look at 1 2 and 3 just for anybody who wasn't here before to kind of catch you up to speed i won't go into the long lengths of each of those steps but it's important to get the basics down i mean the three principles behind step 1 2 and 3 was honesty hope and faith and the reason why is because first step first and foremost we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholic meaning we had to be honest with ourselves because Nobody else can do it for us. You know, we can have biopsychosocials and do assessments and our friends and families can tell us what they think about us. But really, ultimately, at the end of the day, if we don't fully concede to our innermost selves that we're alcoholics, we will not be able to achieve the next 11 steps, first and foremost. And in step one, you know, it was more than just saying, yes, I know. Yes, that's important. Yes, I know. I believe that I am but also just getting the education behind what alcoholism is all about. And we dissected that, being physical, mental, and spiritual. I'm physically different, and I can't safely drink because my reaction to alcohol separates me from normal people. I put it into my body. I create a phenomenon for more. I create a phenomenon of craving for more, which separates me from normal drinkers. And the mental component is the crux of the problem because if the physical component was the problem we just stopped drinking problem solved i mean it's that simple so obviously that wasn't the crux of the problem the crux of the problem is the mental part of this disease and that means that no matter how long i've stayed away from it no matter how much education i've received in about, about alcoholism for some reason i keep returning to it to solve my problems even though i have heaps of evidence to prove it doesn't work And lack of power is our dilemma. We had to find a power greater than ourselves to restore us to sanity. And then the spiritual component, which was very tricky. They said that first we straighten out spiritually, then we'll overcome the mental and the physical component of alcoholism. How do you possibly straighten out spiritually if you're still getting drunk? How does that even happen? Well, I could tell you how that happens. God gives each and every single one of us a grace period. He's like, here's a grace period. Get your butt to Alcoholics Anonymous. Find a sponsor. Work the steps. Get a home group. Do some service. And no matter what, don't pick up and keep coming back. I mean, those are the basics of Alcoholics Anonymous. 90 meetings in 90 days. Why do we do that? Because if you come back 90 meetings in 90 days, you are going to develop a repetition in the way that you see things. The same thing that you heard over and over and over is going to start to sink in. It's going to fall from your head to your heart, and it's going to become a desire. When something becomes a desire of the heart, God busts it open. He's like, I'm going to floodgate you with goodness. Take a hold of it as it comes through. And then, of course, the spiritual malady of this program. Irritability, restlessness, and discontentment. That's easily annoyed by my fellows, uncomfortable in my own skin, and excessively bored no matter how much activity is going on around me. Having trouble with personal relationships. Can't seem to hold down a job because I'm a victim in everything that I do. I think I'm better than everybody, but really I'm full of self, lack of self-worth and self-esteem. These are actually problems that step one was referring to. It's not the jails, institutions, prostitutions, and homelessness. Those are all external consequences that most people get when they're doing drugs and drinking. Usually, nine times out of ten, you put down a drink, you stop doing those things. So again, just stopping could be a, a solution? No. Why? Because when I put down the drink for some reason, the longer I stay away from the drink, the sicker I get. That's weird. I'm not going to the jail anymore. I'm not selling my body for money anymore. But I'm miserable. Sometimes we're on what we like to call a pink cloud, okay? What that basically feels like is that I haven't picked up a drink and a drug. I have not worked a program yet, but I'm loving life, which a lot of us will receive. Because when you stop drinking and drugging and you get consumed with the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, you are going to feel good. It's fun, but eventually the dust is going to settle you're going to see clearly and you're going to have to go home at night lay your head down on the pillow and there's going to be a deep dark emptiness that is going to settle over your spirit and that's where step two came in came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us sanity what is sanity that is being able to see the truth before picking up the first drink what is insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Or if you got to where I was in life, doing the same thing over and over again, knowing exactly what was going to happen, but I did anyways, because I have the case of the efforts. So if lack of power was not my dilemma, and I had to find a power greater than ourselves, and it couldn't be human power, that means that this program was going to talk about God, capital G-O-D, Heavenly Father, the Great I Am. I'm not making this stuff up. I didn't bring this to you through another book. I brought that information to you through a book called Alcoholics Anonymous. Lack of power is my dilemma. I had to find a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. The one and only that will solve my problems. A two-question quiz in We Agnostics said that if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit drinking entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. We heard spiritual experience read up here today. There's all different ways to look at it. A spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening, a God consciousness, a personality change, an entire psychic change. It's the way that we see the world, the way that we feel, deal, react, respond. Has to change. They say that there's only one thing you have to change. And that one thing is everything. And I also heard, and this is early recovery stuff, that if nothing changes, nothing changes. That's deep. Super deep. But it said that a power that was going to solve the problem. The problem was never alcohol. It was never drugs. It was never hers or hims or its or theys. The problem is me. And all those other things that I just named off to you are just solutions. Solutions solutions that at one point in time on my journey and my walk did work for me but i built a tolerance for every single thing i've ever tried to solve with a god-sized hole it wasn't until i came into alcoholics anonymous and i actually surrendered to the simplicity of this program i already shared with you guys what the simplicity is it's the basics 90 meetings in 90 days get a sponsor work the steps get a service in in a group and don't pick up no matter what I mean, crazy, right? It's way too easy for us complicated people, but that's what happens. If you keep coming back here, it, believe it or not, it chips away at the hardening of your heart, of the wall of the ego that you have up against between you and the sunlight of the spirit. You're going to keep coming back, hear what you need to hear. Eventually it'll soften up enough to say, I want this. I don't know if I believe, but I believe that that guy believes. I'm not sure if I can believe, but I believe that girl over there believes. That's a mustard seed of hope. And when a mustard seed of hope enters your heart, it busts wide open. That's all God needs to get inside of your life. He's going to begin to reveal things to you that you can never deny. It is him and only him. And step three was like saying, hey, look. I know I can't. I know He can. And I think it's about time for the first time in my life to allow Him to do so. That's what step three is. And it's so simple, you guys. Don't overanalyze step three, don't overanalyze it. Made a decision to turn my will and life over to the care of God as we understood Him. It's simple. Wake up, put one foot in front of the other, do what's in front of you to do. And trust that there's something much more bigger, powerful that has plans for your life and allow him to run it. Does that mean that we could do whatever we want here in the world and not have consequences? Of course not. When you're putting one foot in front of the other, there's going to be decisions that need to be made that are going to come into your path. But you develop a conscience. That conscience is the spirit of God himself that resides within you. That conscious is saying, "Mm, that ain't true, don't say it. That ain't yours, don't take it. And oops, that don't feel right, don't do it. It's so simple. Don't go against your God-given instincts. God speaks to you right here in the gut. But here's a really cool thing about step three. It's got its pros and its cons. You will never perfect it until the day we die. I really do not think so. And what does that mean? I was just talking to a friend on the way here. I've been living in trial and error my whole sobriety. I do things externally in this worldly way of solving my problems all the time until I've tapped out of those resources and I turn back to the one and only loving, almighty Father God. And it takes a lot of sometimes pain and suffering for me to surrender that part of my life. And then I surrender it and I'm like, woohoo, yay, yippity doo die. I'm feeling so good, I can't believe I hung on to that thing for so long. They said, either you're going to let go or get dragged, and I got drugged. So I think I'm free from this thing. Thank God I learned that lesson. But then another lesson pops up. I heard people in Alcoholics Anonymous call it the whack-a-mole. You hit one mole, and the other one pops up. You hit that one, two more pop up. Boom, boom, this one pops up. You're constantly doing this, right? Welcome to sobriety. Actually, welcome to the human race. But people in Alcoholics Anonymous are blessed because we have a way out. We have the comfort of knowing that there is a loving God who is going to walk us through this thing. And what's really crazy is that, yes, indeed, he turns your mess into a message. He gets to do that. Your story is going to impact so many people. But first and foremost, you need to clear out the wreckage of your past so that you can allow the sunlight of the Spirit to come in and literally expel the problem so that he could begin to work through you. When he comes in and he starts to work through you, you can see clearly. And when you see clearly, you can see God working in every corner of your life, and then you can begin to join him. Until that happens, you are constantly in this motion of do it my way. It's going to be better. I know best because I'm the smartest. And we all know where that gets us. I don't care where you come from, your background, your education, your money. There's only one who has all the answers. How do we clean out the wreckage of our past so that we can allow the sunlight of the spirit to enter our life? That's what the four-step inventory was literally designed for. The big book overall is designed to enable you to find a power greater than yourself that's going to restore you to sanity. The fourth step is to clean out the wreckage so that you can allow the sunlight of the spirit to come into into your life. So that you can go out and start really working on this this uh, lifestyle change. One, two, and three was a foundation. Now we got work, action. Uh, It says something. I'm going to be literally like um, winging it here, but right after you take that third step prayer, it says you you think wisely before making this step. You you choose a you know a friend, a sponsor, uh, whatever it is that you choose. We did it with a group. We prayed the prayer. And then at once we go out vigorously to do what we need to do to clean out the wreckage of our past to allow the sunlight of the spirit into our life. That's an inventory. There are three things that block us off from the sunlight of the spirit more than anything in the world. And we're going to talk about those. I briefly touched on the three things of our instincts that are going to be completely related to the three areas of an inventory today. And if you weren't here for that, you could watch it on the podcast, Mike Chase at iPod.com. I don't even know if that's a real thing, but it's something, okay? <laughs> when I'm on iPod and I want to hear it, I, I literally, or yeah, I, t- I type in Mike Chase. No, no I'm kidding. It works. Um, so the three things that block us off from the sunlight of spirit more than anything. First, I want to talk about this for a minute. When you hear an inventory, like before you come into AA, what do you hear? Like, I don't know, how many of you guys had a job where you were in a position to do an inventory. <laughs> okay, great. All right. And gray right hair, black with the glasses on. Where did you work? I worked at a restaurant. Okay, great. What did you inventory? The food, the supplies. Okay. The food, the supplies. okay. She, she worked at a restaurant. She did an inventory for the food and the supplies and the paperwork, or paper goods. <clears throat> Why did you do an inventory on the food and the etcetera? Okay, where we stood, what we needed, and what needed to be restocked, right? Great. Okay, right here, blue shirt, one of you guys, where'd you work? Uh, Retail store. Okay, perfect. Retail store, what did you stock? Or what did you inventory? Jeans, t-shirts, clothes. Okay. What were you in mindset when you were inventorying the clothes? Why were you inventorying those clothes? Okay, so we wanted to make sure also with clothing, like not only like restocking like what's selling. You know, like what's in style today versus last season. You know, here in Florida, I don't know why they do it, but they cut out all the summer like pool stuff in November. It pisses me off so bad because I have a pool in my backyard, you know, I want, like a cool float for the new season and they don't have anything, right? So we have to be very mindful when we're owning a store to make sure that we're doing a constant flow of inventory for multiple reasons, to find out what's not selling. And we have to be honest with ourselves about that. We want to find out what we've run out of so that we can purchase more. We want to find out if anything has been expired or, or has been damaged in any way. Because if you own a grocery store, for example, and you have customers coming in and they're seeing a bunch of expired food, like Save-A-Lot, bleh, you know, like you go into that store, like you want to be impressed. I personally love Publix. Okay, don't judge me. I am a Publix person. I like the way they talk to me when I walk in there. I like their way they stock their stuff, that everything is fresh and green and nothing is expired. I want to have a store just like that, right? So now think of that, but put it in relation to your personal life. What does your store look like? Are you still trying to sell stuff that nobody's buying? Think about that for a minute. What is your attitude, your behaviors, your belief system that used to work for you, but no longer work for you anymore? Maybe it worked for a certain consumer population, but it's not working for the new location, the upscale population, And be honest with yourself about values. Otherwise, your business is going to go broke. What is there about yourself that is damaged, is expired, and is really making a mess on your shelf? So, now that I've given you guys that visual, I want to take a look at the three things that are on your shelf that are blocking you off from the sunlight of the spirit, a.k.a. consumer uh, population, which is a relationship with God and a relationship with all his children more than anything else. Number one is our resentments. What is a resentment? A resentment is refeeling negative feelings. For example refeeling feelings of anger frustration refeeling feelings of annoyance refeeling feelings of hurt that last one took me a long many years to connect with because i don't get hurt don't you know who i am i get mad i get raged i push people away but i'm not hurt refeeling feelings of hurt are just as poisonous and deadly as refeeling feelings of anger and rage and probably even more deadly so who do we have refeeling negative feelings about i mean everybody's its own person you have a list if you have a good sponsor they're going to give you a little bit of guidance you don't have to have this superstar sponsor by the way they don't need to have 40 years in recovery they could have six months and have gone through the 12 steps and they're ready to take you. In fact, they're probably on fire for their recovery program and they're going to be the best sponsor. When people get time in recovery, they don't got time for that shit. I'm serious, right? I remember when I had like a year sober, I sponsored like 18 girls. I mean, that's nuts, but, and I did step work with all of them because it was my life. So anyways, um, Let's take a look at resentments real quick. They say resentment is the number one offender. It kills more alcoholics than anything else. That's crazy. Let me tell you why. Let's break that down for a minute. For us to drink is to die, right? Our book says it. We know it. We've watched lots of our friends and family die from this disease. So for us to drink is to die. So if it says that... Resentments are number one offender. It kills more alcoholics than anything else. It completely severs the sunlight of the Spirit from you and your relationship with God. And it leads you back to the drink. What does our book say? It says that irritability, restlessness, and discontentment will return again and again, and we will eventually reach out the comfort and ease we know a drink will bring us. Resentments is the one place that that happens at the most. And here we got to be truthfully honest with ourselves. Are you rethinking a thought about somebody or something or somewhere? A place, a situation? It doesn't have to be a human being. It could be an institution. It could be a campsite. I mean, I don't know. I don't have any resentments with one, but I'm sure I can gather one. It could be a restaurant. It could be a creditor. It could be family members, neighbors, coworkers, workers IRS, the government, our president, it could be a slew of things. When you think about that person, does your mind wander? Does your mind think about what you could say if you had the opportunity to say? And do you think about how you could say it? Do you think of ways and means to maybe do something to subtly harm them back? and then justify those thoughts? Do you gossip or character assassinate individuals when you have the right opportunity to make yourself feel better about who you are as a person, although you can't admit that quite yet? Are you just finding yourselves gossiping about others? You may be harboring a resentment. This is something that needs to be addressed at once because our book says it is the absolute number one offender kills more alcoholics than anything else. So we put it on paper. There's a few sections. You can go in your big book. You can print off some charts online. You can have your sponsor walk you through it line for line. But the first section in resentment is critical. It's the who or the what. Wherever the resent, not the what, it's the who. Is it the him, the her, the it, the they, the place? Or this is the situation. You could actually just be pissed at a situation. Write it down. Next section, why? What happened for you to have these feelings of re-feeling negative feelings? This is where you really get to talk poorly about other people. Oh, thank you so much. Look at that. Oh, I love that. That's. I use that exact one. That's good. So, um, why? Okay. And by the way, guys, I give this exact sheet to people just for a guide. Do not come back to me next week with some checks in that fricking box. We ain't going there. Why? Because it says that this step requires honesty and thoroughness. Okay. So now we know why this is your opportunity to talk trash about them to the fullest get it all out because we're going to get to the important stuff next and that's what part of self was hurt like what part of self was affected okay so it was your self-esteem your pocketbook your ambitions your pride so on and so forth let's see because i don't remember i'm, I'm paraphrasing self-esteem pride emotional security pocketbook ambitions personal relationships and sexual relationships. What is your self-esteem? That's, what you, that's how you feel about yourself. Is that affected because you're feeling negative feelings? What about your ambitions? That's what you want out of life. That's what you want to see yourself get to in life. Is this resentment affecting that? What about your pride? Your pride is what you think other people, how other people should view you and look at you. Is that being affected? Your pocketbook, that's your money. Usually if it's a job resentment, it's affecting your money. Trust me. Especially if you're in sales okay personal relationships check about the person right now think about who the person is now think about their close proximity of humans because they're all probably going on there you don't even realize it until you start to dissect this thing so i'm mad at sally because i heard sally was talking crap about the way i shared at the alcoholic and god meeting Oh, but Sally hangs out with Sam, Sarah, and Stephanie, too. And they all sit together at that meeting. And I had a feeling because they are all looking at me funny as shit. (laughs) So now when I see Stephanie and Sam and so on and so forth at the 12-step house, I just automatically am like, I'm not even going to look at them hoes. I like that word. (laughs) All right, and then your sexual relationships. Just be honest. You know, if you're taking home resentments, you're most likely not going to have a very physically intimate relationship with your spouse. And maybe you are. But a lot of times, our emotions affect us there, too. All right, so just think about that. But here's how I do it. I don't tell you, bring me this back and check it. I want to see on paper how this affected you. I want you to write it out. It affects my self-esteem because I really think I'm a big shot at my job and I've been feeling very left out and insecure. It affects my pride because I have worked so hard to reach my position and I'm feeling like I'm being isolated at these events. Write it out. Be thorough. Be honest. It's really about to take a look at yourself. Be into me. See that intimate relationship that you have with a sponsor, you're going to share this with somebody else. It's going to be a big relief. If you just check off the boxes and say, "Check, check, check," you're really not being honest and thorough. Okay, so now that I know who, now I know why, now I know what parts of my self was affected, now I get to take a look at my part. Everybody's going to give you a different tidbit on this section. This is my belief. You could take it or leave it. Don't kill me. Okay? I do believe that if you don't play a part in the resentment, you do not play a part in the solution. Now, obviously, there are things that happen in life that you did nothing to set the ball rolling. You are a victim in some scenario. Clearly, You did nothing to cause that. But we're here today in 2023. We need to take a look at where is our forgiveness? When are we going to let it go? That's our part in things. Letting something go and forgiving another human being does not mean that I condone what they did in any way, shape, or form. This is about letting them go for my own freedom. Because for me to drink is to die. I want to allow the sunlight of the spirit to come in, enter and expel the problem. The problem is me. I need God in and through me all day, every day. And I cannot if I'm hanging on to these things. So if I don't play a part in this problem, then I don't play a part in the solution that's my perception. You'll get something different from somebody else. But there's four major ways to play a a part. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Use the guide. Is it selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, frightened? Oh, there's an extra word in there. I don't have that one. What does it say? Inconsiderate. Well, that's the sex area, isn't it? Whatever. Who cares? Let me go with my four. (laughs) Selfish. Okay. Dishonest, afraid, or self-seeking. Now, what does this look like? For example, Sally was talking bad about how way I spoke at Alcoholics and God. She said ho oh, up at the podium, okay? I got this big resentment. I'm thinking about her. I'm thinking I'm telling my other friends. Like, who is that girl? Like, she's never cursed before. Oh, my God. Like, she's, like, so perfect. Does she even have a home group? I don't even think she's worked the 12 steps. Stupid. selfish. It's all about me. I'm not considering that maybe it was inappropriate to say that word at the podium in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's such a nice meeting. They dress nice. You always come there looking like trailer trash. Maybe you need to tighten up a little bit. You know, it's all about me. So this is not a true story, by the way. Self-seeking. I get people all the time after the meeting. They're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to make you feel that way. I'm like, Sally, is that your name? (laughs) Self-seeking. Hanging on to a resentment is self-seeking all in itself. I'm going to hang on to it because even though I'm dying in pain, I have so much pride and ego, I won't let it go. And I'm feeling justified in my sick, sick way of thinking. I'm literally like punishing this person in my head over and over and over and over and over again, and I'm somehow getting justification in there. Self-seeking. Dishonest. How about not admitting that I've done the same thing? Not admitting that maybe I had said something bad about a speaker because of the way that they spoke in the meeting, or gossiped about another person in Alcoholics Anonymous, or just being dishonest about my level of behavior in certain areas of my recovery. And then, of course, afraid. It literally seeps into every area of every resentment known to man. Afraid of being found out. Afraid of not being liked. Afraid of not being asked to speak again in Alcoholics Anonymous. The list can go on. And this brings me, by the way, that's one of the most important parts. And you want to write it out in in fullness. Do not check boxes and bring it to your sponsor. Once this is done, we're going to flip the page and we're going to take a look at fears. This is the second thing that cuts us off from the sunlight of the spirit more than anything else. Fears. When I came into recovery, I literally thought I was not afraid of anything. I was like, You don't know me. I'm courageous. I'll get on roller coasters, on slingshots. I'll speak in front of 5,000 people. Um, I'll get in the cars with some creepy dudes in the middle of the night knowing for sure they're going to kill me, but I'm going to do it anyways because I need five bucks. (laughs) Like, you don't know me. I'm not afraid of anything, right? Man, get sober for a few weeks, a couple of months. Start getting friends that really like you all of a sudden, fears of the unknown started to appear. Will I stay sober? Am I doing it right? (sighs) I want to be liked. I want to be a part of this community. Do they like me? They don't like me. Am I going to get that job? Oh, I'm not good enough for that job. Well, I got the job. Will I get the promotion? No way. You suck. Fears begin to literally overpopulate your your psyche. When you remove the drink and the drug, a whole slew of new problems come into your life. I found that there's two ways to deal with fear. I found them as a solution here in Alcoholics Anonymous. Number one, it's the first thing you can do, which I've done for many years, and that is say F everything and run. I'm a runner. I am a runner. There ain't no man on the face of this earth that can hurt me. Because if I get a glimmer of possibility that you hurt me, I'm out. I'm way too independent and cool for you. Next. And guess what I find out? That fear of that person hurting me was literally in my head. And I have abandoned possibilities that could have changed my life. So number one, I could face or fear or F everything and run, which I've been doing my whole life. And guess what, by the way, here's here's the end solution to that or the end result to that. I always end up in the same situations later in life, but 10 times worse. Because you're either going to deal with it now with this person or this situation, or you're going to deal with it later with another person in a different situation. You're always going to have to deal with it. So F everything and run. All right, here's here's the other solution, guys. This one is not easy. Face everything and recover. Face everything and recover. And that is very hard pill to swallow for a lot of people because it seems like the hard route. It seems like F everything and run is the easier, softer way. But what I've discovered is the reason why is because I'm okay being so miserable. I was in this bubble of pain and agony and terror and incomprehensible demoralization all the time that I couldn't even fathom anything outside of it. So when I came in here and I got a little glimmer of hope to step out of that, I was like, holy crap. I've been wasting my life away in that miserable bubble. Facing your shit is so much more rewarding. And at the end of the day, it's easier. Isn't that nuts? So I I suffer from what's called extensive independence. I don't know if anybody's heard of that before. It's like a very, very bold case of independence. Which means like, um, there's no man in this world that will compliment my life. And I know it sounds kind of funny. I think a lot of girls in here may, may actually relate to this. But I'm here to tell you there is hope. I found a man. We got married. Um, we've been together almost, this summer will be seven years And it has been trial and error, my friends. Thank God I got a guy who's very patient. Because if I sniff a possibility of this man not loving me 155% or not wanting to bend over backwards to make sure that I'm happy financially, mentally, emotionally, and physically, I'm out. Peace. And he's sitting on the couch going, huh? What's going on? What is going on? Something's happening. I don't know what it is, but in my head is big. I have such a strong independence that I am willing to do everything I can to take care of myself, even if that means sacrificing the love of my life. Face it and recover again. Like I said, I've been with him for almost seven years. That's damn miracle. It's a miracle. So we want to get a list of all the things that we're fearful of, and then we want to write down on the sidelines like why we think we're afraid of those things. You're going to really, really find out some interesting stuff about yourself. And as you stay sober, your road is going to get more narrow. What do I mean by that? There used to be a lot of things on my fears list that are no longer there. You know, like fear of my kids dying drastically in like a horrific way. You know what I mean? Um, You know, losing my job or my income, things like this. Fear of what other people think about me. All these things used to be on there. And then as I stayed sober, God revealed to me why I was having a lot of these fears. And, And here's my experience. God whispers until he begins to scream. And when he begins to scream, you don't want him to scream. Just let him whisper and do as he says. It's called your conscience. For example, I used to go to bed at night watching The First 48.
5: <laughs>
4: or murder documentaries about like horrific beatings and murders that husbands did to wives and children or wives did to husbands and children. Or just scrolling through social media and seeing, you know, a little girl's head was decapitated on I-95. She was three years old. And instead of, like, passing by it, opening it up, and watching the video and reading it, I was having thoughts that were just consuming my life. And eventually God's like, don't watch that stuff anymore. Stop watching this stuff. And so, of course, I didn't listen to him. I was like, I've been watching this stuff my whole life. These thoughts are new can't be that. Well, when you start clearing out the garbage and the wreckage of your past, when you do this type of work, God becomes bigger, bigger part of your life. There's no room for that type of poison anymore. There's just no room for it. And when God begins to whisper, just go with it, man. Try it out. I downloaded pure flicks. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it's, it's just pure tv shows and documentaries and movies and i go to bed at night a lot more peaceful i'm no 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 near perfect in any way shape or form i did start watching firefly lane okay that's on netflix god forgive me but you know it's it's about progress not perfection and i don't want to use that as an excuse but your road's going to get narrow so the fears list is really important because if you're consumed with fear what are you doing you're not relying on God. I was taught that you're either in reliance of God or you are in defiance of God. And that's scary to me. Like if I'm not relying on God, I'm actually defying him. How crazy is that? I was reading something this morning. and I'm totally paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of, you know, God speaks and you can either obey Or you could disobey. And if you disobey, you know what he's going to do? He's going to let you have your way. He's going to let you have your way. And guess what, guys? The last thing you want is your way. It's so bad. It's so much better to go his way. So anyways, we put this down on a paper and we share it with somebody later. And then the last thing, of course, that's so critical. And that all of us have a large list to take a look at. Is our sexual conduct. You know, um, the longer you stay sober, the more this list deteriorates. The other ones still somehow we, we, we get them in there and we weed them out. We could do this inventory, and we'll talk about that later in step 10. But um, the sexual inventory is usually at a large bulk when you first come into recovery. I don't know, sponsors have sometimes people write down the list of people you've had sex with. I think that's insane. I just think it's insane. Like, who knows how many people they've had sex with? I don't know. I guess in some communities, you know. Not in this community. Um, But for me, what I needed to do is I needed to take a truthful, honest, thorough list of people that I have harmed as a result of my sexual conduct. Not necessarily who did I have sex with and I hurt them. It was my sexual conduct, and my conduct was off the charts because I was doing what I needed to do to get what I needed to get at a very young age, which meant I was going to step on the toes of my fellows, of my closest, bestest friends. I was going to deal with you whether you were married or not. I did not care if you were male or female. I did not uh, care about your color, your age, your background, your criminal status, or any of those things. I was going to get what I needed to get at the moment that I needed to get it, and it always caused a lot of harm. I'm not going to go into very specific details about that. You get the point. You know, but there's a couple of things I'd like to touch on that people don't think about when they're doing a sexual inventory. A lot of times people say, I don't need to put that trick on there. What? He was paying me for sex. Obviously, I didn't cause that dude any harm. But what about his wife? And children, what about the fact that you had sex with him unprotected, caring little or nothing at all, if you gave him something? What if what about your family? What about your children? Did you put your children at risk by the people you had in your home? Did you embarrass your family because of your conduct in the community? Those are things that I think that people don 't really necessarily think of. What about when you come into recovery? And there's a man or a woman who has great attention for you, has a lot of love and care for you, but you have none for them at all. And even though you told them you had none for them at all, you're still accepting their gifts and their attention. And you say with justifications, well, I already told them I'm not interested. They know I'm going to see other people. (laughs) Be honest and thorough with yourself. Those people need to get on your inventory. Maybe they're paying your rent. Maybe they're buying your cigarettes. Maybe they're bonding you out of jail every time you get arrested. Maybe, maybe, maybe those people need to get on your list too. You may even be giving that person attention to keep them in your life and not at all have any sex with them at all. Physical touch in this area is not the important part. It is your conduct and how you are harming other people. Now, we get all of that on there, the who's, and we check off in in thoroughness, you know, where were we being inconsiderate, selfish, dishonest? Did we arise any jealousy, bitterness, or insecurity in other people, which in most time, nine times out of 10, we do. And then this part gets a little bit different. It starts to ask you, what could you have done differently? Or first it asks you, what did you do? And then what could you have done differently? differently. And we lay it out on a piece of paper and then we could begin to pray about being this type of a person with your conduct. And it is amazing what God will do when you begin to ask. Ask and you shall receive. But the really interesting thing about God is that you may not know how God is going to respond to you. I have a funny story, and I'm going to wrap it up because my best friend's here today. So it's a best friend story. She was wanting to date a guy that was good because she, like all of us other women in the room, like the guys that are not good. They're very attractive. They got tattoos. They got an ankle monitor on. (laughs) They're fresh out of prison, but they are hot, right? Those are the guys we really want attention from, right? so then we hook line sinker that guy and what does that guy end up doing he flees to the next i mean duh that's what happens or he goes out and relapses and goes back to jail or whatever the case may be right so she's like best friend i need a good guy like i I really do I, i think i'm gonna pray for him i'm like good luck with that she's like no seriously, i'm gonna pray for him i'm like well what are you gonna pray for and now i'm paraphrasing but she's like he's gonna be tall and handsome He's going to like have a career in a bank account. He's going to really love and adore me, but not give me too much attention because that usually pushes me away, you know, when the guy is nice and everything, but he's actually going to be a good guy, even though he may not seem like a good guy, but he is going to be a good guy something like that. Right. And I'm like, okay, that's never going to happen. Good luck. She's like, you'll see. So she starts to pray, right? Every day for this guy. Meanwhile, I'm hooking up with the guy 11 years younger than me, so hot, fresh out of jail, on community control, fine, living at the Lamb of God, <laughs> right? Well, guess what, guys? He's my husband now. But, so, anyways, he's like, babe. My friend here like really thinks her girlfriend Adriana is like hot and wants to take her on a date. I'm like really, so I tell her, and she's like, oh no, mm, no. I'm like, come on, best friend, he's so cute. And she's like, man, nah, no, I don't think so. I'm like, he's good looking. She's like, really? I don't know. Okay, fine, I'll go out with him. Long story short, she starts dating this guy. Right? He ends up being super hot. Like he looks like Thor. You guys know who Thor is, right? I forget the real actor's name, but he's fine, right? And he's like from Tennessee, so he's got like a country twang. Blonde hair, blue eyes, good looking dude, right? I'm like, I told you he was fine, told you. And she's like, yeah. She's like, but I keep calling him like on Friday night asking him, when is he gonna come over? Like, I'm like, hello, I know he's all about me, and he tells me I can't come over tonight because I have laundry to do. Do you think he's really doing laundry? I'm like, I think he's doing laundry. Long story short, this guy sucked at his phone. She could text him at 9 a.m. He'd text her back at 10 p.m. She was like for sure thinking he was a scum. Really, he had no interest in being hooked on his phone, and he wasn't obsessed with her because he wasn't sick. And he ended up marrying my best friend, and they have three babies, and they've been together now for almost seven years as well. And there she is right there. Um, So anyways, uh, more stories about that are really cool. So God has a way of changing you. Your road's going to get narrow. So watch out for what you pray for. Thank you guys for letting me share.
1: Let's thank Bobby again. And now we have someone for the Secretary's report.
6: Hi, my name is David, and I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the Seventh Tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, The baskets are now going around. Um, If you do not have cash, we have QR codes on the backs of some of the chairs so that you can contribute through Venmo. And if you're joining us on, is it Skype or Zoom? Uh, Well, then uh, there should be a QR code there as well. Um, And I have asked Ben to come up and read the recovered statement.
3: Hi, my name is Ben. I'm in recovery. Recovered. We are not not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered.
6: Thanks, Ben. Um, We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering, and what exactly it means to be a recovered alcoholic. Uh, 1940s big style, style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried. 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% plus success rate. Is there anyone in the room who needs a sponsor? Okay. Um, at the end of the meeting, uh, just sort of hang around, and, and somebody will, uh, will speak with you, okay? Okay. Um, May I have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? We like to suggest at this meeting that if your hand is not up, that you make an effort to hang out with those whose hands are. Um, Announcements. Uh, Broward County Intergroup uh, is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating the where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Next. Broward County Institutions Committee is is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us who can't get out to meetings, uh, no, people like us can't get out to meetings to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. Uh, They meet uh, monthly. I believe it's the second Saturday of every month at 10 a.m. at the 12-step house. Do we have any members of BCIC here? Okay, so there are a couple of people you can speak to if you're interested in that. Um, Here are some upcoming service opportunities. Well, actually, this is the 43rd Big Book Seminar um, at the Boca Raton uh, Marriott. It's Mother's Day weekend, May 11th through 14th. Um, I always like to re- remind people that uh, it ends at about noon on the 14th, so if you're seeing your mom, shouldn't be a problem. Um, what else? Victory Group Annual uh, Picnic, Sunday, May 21st. Um, and that's from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Snyder Park. And let's not forget uh, our other group, my other home group, uh, which is our Monday night big book study workshop, where the big book comes alive. Uh, Join us for fellowship at 6:30. Workshop starts at 7:15, and we are still at the beginning of the book, so it's a good time to join us. Thanks.
1: We have tonight's session and all our past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday uh, night big book study. And to those who wish to thank the speaker, please line up in the center aisle when we're done. We're going to close with the Lord's Prayer while you're seated. Who woke us up this morning? Our Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom kingdom come.
7: Lessons when I go to sleep at night lessons when I go to sleep at night and I dream now. Yeah, I dream now. And everything's all right. <laughs> oh, man. Going on 10 years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
9: Don't you? (laughs) us on your way